Hello, I'm Adam. And I'm E. And welcome to Blood and Turf, a podcast about the links between the ideology of turfs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, and fascism, cults, pseudoscience, and other reactionary political phenomena. In this edition of Blood and Turf, we look at reports straight from the front lines of the culture wars, with specific reference to a wave of QAnon-linked rallies in the UK, focused on a blend of anti-mask, anti-vaccination, and anti-lockdown conspiracy theories. And we will be delving into the general concepts of cults and conspiracy theory belief. But how do the turfs fit in? We intend to investigate just that subject, using on-the-ground information from our own intrepid reporter. Before we start, a content warning. This episode is obviously centred around cults and the kind of abusive relationships that appear in them, as well as specific instances of turf rhetoric and group behaviour that can match these phenomena. Accordingly, some of the material discussed may be upsetting to listeners with personal experience of cults or other high-demand-slash-control groups, as well as various other abusive social relationships. Medical sexual assault is also mentioned, as well as Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, and the usual transphobic nonsense. This episode is going to be the first in what will probably turn out to be quite a long-running series of episodes for us, which are going to focus on the phenomenon of cults in general, and how they link to the trans-exclusionary radical feminist-slash-gender-critical scene. And accordingly, we are delighted to introduce the funnest segment in our incredibly light-hearted podcast, Cult Watch. Right, so we've had a lot of recent news that will be of interest to uh, our podcast and our listeners, such as the uh, Save Our Children rallies, which had a cast of very interesting characters, including uh, a bunch of QAnon kind of people. Obviously, J.K. Rowling, Turf at Large's uh, new book came out, which was not only heinously transphobic, but also quite racist as well. Other celebrities, Jed would have come out on the, as a force for good and uh, have proceeded to make a lot of fun of J.K. Rowling. Casta Semania and other black female athletes have been penalised by Sporting Commission in, in rulings that are very clearly motivated by gender-critical kind of concern trolling over women in sport. Hadley Freeman, everyone's favourite Guardian columnist, has gone full mask off with uh, her own radicalization spiral. And Gina Carraro, who's in the new um, the Star Wars property, has decided to take a leaf out of Slash Paul's book with her beat, boot, bop, fake pronoun nonsense. Uh, I guess we better begin with, uh, with the Save Our Children rallies, because it's like, politically speaking, it's one of the more significant items on the list. And also, I did just go to one today. Yes, tell us all about that, please, Em. I'm sure it was a wonderful time. Yeah, so I was kind of like pretty tired and bored when I went to these things um, and also quite overheated because I was kind of in town for other reasons. But also, having listened to a couple of episodes of the QAnon Anonymous podcast and particularly like a relatively recent one where they're like the person who they get to report on like British weird shit, this um, this woman called Annie Kelly, who's a basically like a, a journalist who often covers this kind of stuff for them. Um she went to one of these things uh, a week or two ago and was like, yeah, it's full of all kinds of conspiracy theory groups. It's a whole mishmash, as you would expect, but it's specifically got this British cultural tinge to its conspiracy theorism, which is entirely predictable. And I thought that it would be like a good idea to kind of go to the next one, because they're being held relatively regularly, and see what's up. These protests are being organized worldwide under this Save Our Children banner, and it's notionally meant to be a kind of like anti-pedophilia, anti-sex trafficking type thing. And that, that's a complete front. That's not what it's for at all. It has no connection to serious anti, like anti-sex trafficking or, or, or like childcare work whatsoever. 
what the protests are actually for is they're essentially like you know comic con for conspiracy theorists and in the uk what that means is that we're getting like a lot of anti-mask and anti-vax people combined with like the usual splattering of like like weirder small niche conspiracy groups like for example like good old-fashioned new world order type guys people who are still obsessed with like genetic modified foods um quite a lot of 5g stuff and that's also intermixed with like the micro political parties that are connected to or part of the british far right so for example there's this group called the english democrats they had a guy down there today who made a big speech and had lots of fun like shaking hands with the crowd and and chatting to people Um, that's kind of like a decent representation of the less militant wing of the british like far right party system so it's sort of this kind of like big blend of groups that have a lot of overlaps in their social niches and a lot of overlaps in terms of like the people who they talk to to attempt to spread their ideological positions and i think we'll we'll dig into this like later in the episode but what was interesting is that it did seem like there was a conscious effort to like coalesce these various kind of like disparate conspiracy theory beliefs into a slightly more coherent blob movement. I think uh, that we probably better better move on to the celebrity news now, particularly particularly dear old J.K. Yes, J.K. 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 Rowling, Robert Galbraith, new book. A lot of people I saw were so when when the book hit, everyone immediately was like, "Jesus, the uh, the the plot is." Um, Lift, I think it's lifted straight out of the Psycho, the Psycho movie, which I, I have to say I've never seen. Um, what, except, what is the plot? Right, so the plot is basically like an evil man dressing as a woman to kill people. That's, yeah, I mean, that is from Psycho, but uh, like there's no end of other films, obviously. Yeah, I think, I think I saw someone who has seen the film be like, this is lifted straight from Psycho, but obviously it's like a heinously transphobic trope that has been used uh, a, a, a billion times. Um, and a lot of people, I think, kind of thought that this was just her doing a publicity stunt or just, I don't know, people were kind of willing to hand wave it away despite how grim it is. But it's not only, um, as we spoke about in our, in our specific like JK Gender Isis episode, like clearly the brainworms from living in her Scottish castle have like completely completely gone through the gray matter because she has like an extract where she is attempting to ape a working class person and it's just like ridiculous and then also i think quite almost most worrying to me especially with what you said about the save our children rallies because if uh if if people don't know uh, a lot of tommy robinson and like edl lot often like faux rallied around the same banner Uh, and obviously they're really heinously islamophobic uh jk rowling's book is also like one of the plot points I think is to do with someone wearing a hijab to pass to someone else uh, or they think it is until they find in the body of a victim um, evidence that, that they ate a halal takeaway. Um, oh God, that bit that I forgot about this, the, the, the halal uh, entrail reading. Yeah. Halal entrail reading. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what found in there, like a cheese sandwich. Um, like uh people were talking about this online like how do you tell if a meal is halal after it's been fucking digested like this is like deep end like mystical csi bullshit you can't do that that's not how things work that's not how religious dietary restrictions work um 
Uh, yeah, so to me that like, it's not only like J.K. Rowling's usual shite, but it's like particularly heinous in the sense that like this convergence of general kind of like Baz bigotry is really starting to permeate into turf circles, um, which we will go into in more detail later in this episode. Yeah, more detail on Baz will be forthcoming. Uh, the, the silver lining to the J.K. Rowling story, of course, is that Jedward, who everyone had forgotten about, did very successfully take a shit on it in public. So that was nice of them. Thanks, guys. Hey, we, we, we didn't forget Jedward. We didn't I forget forgot Jedward. Yeah, well, you know, you know, some of us, we kept the Jedward flame in our hearts, I guess. Bless him. Uh, yeah, but everyone is very angry at them and they just keep like tweeting. Like it's very boomer energy, just like completely bypassing like flame wars and just being like, anyway, guys, we've got a new song out. Everyone have a great day. So bless him. Um, in less good news, of course, the, the ruling against Casta Samania is that she can no longer compete uh, unless she artificially lowers her natural like endo system, just to lower her testosterone. Uh, and the exact ruling um, has also impacted, of course, only two other people who, of course, happen to also be black women. Uh, and as soon as this news hit, the turfs were immediately like, well, you know, she shouldn't have been bloody trans, should she? And people were like, well, she, she's, she's not, but uh, uh, okay. Uh, and, and it just kind of like really demonstrates like, A, that sports um, regulations are just like heinous uh, and, and have been for a while. Because like Cass has been, she, she, she has been, um, she's been this harassed. Has been, this has been going on for she, years, specifically yeah. with Casta Semenya. Yeah, I mean, there was one bit, there was, at one point she was like, they demanded that she have like a really invasive like genital examination. She, and I remember the Guardian. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, and the Guardian reported on it. And, and the person who did the examination didn't even like, give any answer he was just like oh yeah i felt up caster and it was a beautiful experience for me what um, what yeah yeah corrective sexual assault of a gay woman great a good time for everyone it seems um yeah no it was like a whole thing he was like oh it was a beautiful experience and i, I don't know i i mean he said something like really awful um like i don't know what she is but it was a beautiful experience for me um that's, you know she's that's so that i i i don't remember that and that has fully knocked my fucking socks off what the fuck yeah and uh and and you know it's awful enough that she's had to go through this and now she's having like her fucking her career taken away from her but the fact that we all knew that this would be utilized against like specifically like women most vulnerable to it and immediately was was just like such a blow because i yes yeah, it's, it's not that caster samania can, can can deal with the harassment but like she absolutely has the support of like the country that she represents and like, yeah. And her fans and has fully, it, it seemed staved this off. And now this ruling's just come through and just been like, I guess women can't do sports anymore unless the turfs approve of them. Yeah. I think also it does, it does sort of indicate um, it's like, it's like one of these kind of classic instances of body policing where like if you're if you're literally outside of the of the norm defined by the calipers, then you're not permitted. Yeah, well, I mean, as people are pointing out, Michael Phelps is also without that norm, but it's fine for him to have his very special, uh, you know, advantages. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Indeed. Anyway, speaking of other um, very special advanced people, let's talk about Hadley Freeman, uh, literary genius. Uh, yes, Hadley Freeman, literary genius of the Grawn, and um, now the Spectator. Moving, oh. up, moving up in oh. the world, Hadley. Oh, classic. 
yeah, no, Hadley really... Um... The column's shite, by the way. <laughs> I can't believe you've read it. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, it's like you've you've read one you've read one main, you've read one media column about how trans people are coming to kill you and you've read them all to be honest. Um, yeah, as I as I said, it's shite and there's nothing remarkable in there. Um, it, in fact, like it's she's definitely phoning it in. Well, you can like like because you can just write these on spec like the same fuck. You just rearrange a few words from the article you wrote a year ago and people will eat up like. Must be the easiest fee she has ever made. Um, but no, she specifically says, the, the lead is, I've become radicalized about gender, says Hadley Freeman. Which is, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like past parody at this point. It's like she listened to the thing about gender ISIS and was like, that's me. I'm in gender ISIS. And that's a good thing. Interestingly, they did do the headline thing where like the, he- the headline in the tweet is different from the headline in the article. And neither of those things are things that Hadley Freeman actually quite says. What it actually says is, like, in the third paragraph of the article, and like the article, the article is arranged in like each paragraph is a new like microscopic anecdote about Hadley Freeman's uh, wacky columnist life. Uh, and the third paragraph starts: "When do you think you were radicalized?" My friend asked when we met for falafels on Hampstead Heath. And blah 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 blah. She then talks about how like modern gender ideology is here to uh, do bad things, mermaids, blah blah blah, the Lib Dems, uh, Layla Moore, and blah. And she then does another paragraph where she starts off like discussing the concept: Have I been radicalized? And kind of continues going into this. Oh, she um, also compares trans people to Nazis. Yes, another good one. Another good one. Oh well. Anyway, the, what I do think is significant about this is that it's... So, like, when we were doing the research for the, the episode on leftism, I, f- was, I kept finding an increasingly large number of articles uh, in The Spectator about this subject from, like, the last couple of years. And it does seem to me as if The Spectator specifically, it's definitely trying to pick up on, like, pseudo-intellectual, middle-class, right-wing, slash hard-right critiques of, of, of gender stuff. It's really leaning into that, I think, um, which would make sense given that given that it's the kind of the, you know it's the fucking spectator for non UK listeners. The Spectator is well known as like a fairly right wing newspaper in the UK. Is that the one that Andrew Andrew Neil runs? Yeah, it's the one that whenever you see those really disgustingly badly drawn sketchy political cartoons, like they're from the Spectator. Yeah, so um, Brendan O'Neill of spiked fame is a regular contributor in The Spectator, for example. And fans of the Trash Future podcast will be very familiar with Dear Brendan. Shortly after recording this episode, Britain immediately had a multi-kaiju event for anti-trans bullshit. I'm recording this snippet on the morning of Sunday the 20th for M to edit into the pod, and we've already had another JK Rowling fan club article in The Guardian, Posey Parker getting herself deliberately arrested as a publicity stunt, and the Times announcing that the government is like to ditch the GRA reform and actually make the system slightly worse for trans patients. Um, so basically, the the Gruen article on J.K. Rowling that compares any criticism of her to like book burnings is notable specifically because Jesus Christ, they just don't stop. But also the fact that even though the new book is, uh, as we mentioned, has um, <laughs> like. Islamophobic elements in it, they make a reference to J.K. Rowling as if she herself is a victim of Islamophobia. 
which is absolutely like god tier considering the the like weird radicalization angle that we had literally yesterday from Hadley Freeman. Um, Posey Parker seems to have gotten herself deliberately arrested by doing a Speaker's Corner kind of style event in Leeds, as M mentioned, but then deliberately fucking up the exemption to the six-person rule. So they got arrested, even though it's specifically not supposed to apply to protests. And this seems to have been exactly what Posey wanted, because she live-streamed herself from the police van and, like, just stayed there for hours, refusing to give her details to the cops, even though they already knew who she was. Um, and it's basically like she's trying to embody, like, oh, these days you get arrested for saying you're an English woman bit, which I think dovetails really nicely with all of our analysis about, like, turfs of the Baz persuasion. Because, like, that's exactly what the, the fucking Stuart Lee bit is meant to be a reference to. The news about the GRA reform is a lot more sobering, despite, you know, years of consultation and thousands of responses. The government decided that they were just like, ah, fuck it, don't care about trans people. And it's mostly disheartening because it's been years and a lot of money of campaigns um, for groups like Stonewall and also just grassroots trans people um, trying to combat the fact that the TERFs weighted the responses, obviously. And the, and the government makes reference to the responses being weighted, but like says that it's, it's all the TRA's fault. And so a lot of people are really angry because it's just like the government has demonstrated that it just can and will ignore the will of the, the electorate, which like isn't, <laughs> shouldn't be news to any of our listeners. But what a fucking waste of time and money. The changes seem to say that the, the fee to get a GRC, a gender recognition certificate, which is used for births, marriages and deaths, and also to determine which prison you go to when you go to prison, um, is being made slightly cheaper to apply for but that you now need two doctors to diagnose you with transsexual brain before you can do anything. Now, this may just be misinformation. Considering that the government decided to announce this policy as per usual behind a fucking Times paywall, like, this could all be bollocks, but GRA has been kicked into the long grass for realsies this time, and all we have to show for it is a heinously transphobic climate of, uh, of, of, uh, of Grom Tufts. So thanks very fucking much. Uh, Equalities Minister Liz Truss. And last but not least, of course, we have the case of Gina Carano, who is um, the star of The Mandalorian, or at least like one of the stars in The Mandalorian, which is like a Star Wars TV show. Gina Carano uh, got in a whole load of like boiled piss on Twitter over pronouns, as usual, and changed the pronouns on her Twitter handle to Beep Boop Bop which is apparently meant to be a joke. Um, it's not particularly funny, but there you go. And there was, there was other stuff. I think she also attached I Stand with J.K. Rowling or I Heart J.K. Rowling to her, her, to her like, uh, screen name or something like that. It, it, it generalized standard like Twitter turf crap. Yeah, she did the classic thing of being like, oh, it's a joke, but also being like, I have immediately assumed that all trans people are abusive. I think what's notable about the Gina Carano thing is the beep boop bop pronouns, which really reminded me of kind of like a lot of online, like I said, like slash poll, like internet alt righty kind of like made up joke. It's very, it's very like Pepe. It's very clown world. I think you called it mysterious language. It's very obfuscatory. The thing about mysterious language is that like, it's completely incomprehensible to someone who hasn't got a specific level of context with the situation. 
humans you know create new bits of language all the time it's a very standard bit of like social behavior we do it as a standard point of habit but uh one of the things that is quite interesting in like subcultures and niches and even more so in in like cult groups and conspiracy theory groups is that um we create specialized languages and specialized like uh, linguistic like call signs this is kind of like a dog whistle in that it's it's not secretive in what it's doing so it's not quite the same as dog whistle it's not like when you're putting like brackets around someone's name to to you know do do an anti-semitic call out but it is designed to speak to a specific like political and social milieu and in that sense it's a sort of mysterious language it's a language of an in-group that's not actually a bad thing all sorts of groups do this but it is interesting that it's happening in this specific way with gina carano and what it's reminiscent to me of uh, which you've basically just made a reference to is like the helicopter joke, like the I identify as an attack helicopter joke. Yeah, it's got that kind of it's got that kind of thumbing the nose element to it that like the kind of call sign language of adult human female and I heart JK Rowling like doesn't. It's almost like that kind of stuff is meant to it, it is meant to work in a kind of call sign way, as we see with like the billboards that keep, people keep putting up, and then when they're taken down, they're like, oh, the TRAs can't take it. This that, you know, this is perfectly normal. It's fine to put up the dictionary definition of woman. But it almost seems like, to me, it's like, that kind of stuff is like triggering the TRAs. And like, the beat boot bop stuff is almost more like triggering the libs, which is like a particularly American thing to do. The thing is, is that neither of these things particularly got the libs that triggered. And the thing about the triggering the libs phenomenon is that actually, so when you, when you study propaganda in the context of nation states, there's uh, this, this phrase that political scientists sometimes refer to as inner track propaganda and outer track propaganda. Uh, and like outer track propaganda is the stuff that you like publish abroad. So say, say you're running like Republic in the middle of Europe and you want to get a good trade deal with Germany, then you're going you're gonna to publish outer track propaganda towards like German speaking publications, German speaking like online communities that makes like certain aspects of your economy seem more attractive, like say the tourist sector or whatever but the inner track propaganda is to do with the domestic audience and like what that usually relates to is is like it's usually stuff like oh that you know that the nation is doing well look we have to do this thing to improve this particular aspect of our society this is all stuff that you know our listeners will be familiar with from their daily lives because we live we live in a propagandized world and the thing about these these in-group linguistic phrases is that when it comes to like triggering the libs type stuff particularly in cases where the libs barely even notice the whole purpose of it is that it's actually inner track propaganda masquerading as outer track propaganda it's marketed to the in-group as an assault on the enemy but actually it's a way of rallying the troops which makes it all the more interesting that it's taken the kind of like uh like a whiff of the kind of internet alt-right rather than the usual the usual turf stuff but speaking of speaking of the the internet alt-right and the various convergences of transphobes and other political kind of conspiracy theorists why don't we get to the meat and potatoes of the the lovely save our children rallies yeah let's see so save our children um where to begin like so there's been a couple of rallies in the uk that have been a component of this like wider I guess, like, emergent online protest movement caught under the banner of Save Our Children. I've already mentioned the QAnon Anonymous podcast once. They've just released an episode delving into the guy who organized all of this shit, who was like a recent convert to uh, a political movement called QAnon. Most of our listeners will be familiar with QAnon. 
Um, for those of you who are not familiar with QAnon or, or who feel that you are not sufficiently familiar to make sense of some of the stuff we are going to end up talking about, QAnon is like is a is a absolutely bizarre emergent phenomenon from like our modern political scene, and it's based around this belief that there's like a new world order style cabal of Satanists who are like coordinating arms of various governments around the world, particularly the American government, in order to like engage in the mass kidnap and exploitation of children for the purpose of like performing pedophilic torture on them and then extracting a chemical from their brains called adrenochrome, which then sustains the life and vitality of the people who are in this cabal. That is the sum, like, core of the belief of the conspiracy theory. There's then other stuff kind of tacked onto it. Uh, and the most important thing is that Donald Trump is, like, a valiant warrior who is fighting against this cabal of Satanists. And on the side of Donald Trump are various elements of the U.S. government. And the, uh, one of the people in the U.S. government is a mysterious figure called Q, who is leaking information onto the, the World Wide Web to an increasingly vast grassroots movement of followers about the titanic battle that Trump is having with a pedophile Satanist organization. Needless to say, all of this is bollocks. Why are we talking about this in connection to TERFs? Well, ourselves and a number of other commentators on kind of like online cults and particularly TERFs have noticed that there's elements of similarity between how uh, like the gender critical movement behaves online and how certain aspects of like the QAnon subculture behaves. QAnon is far larger, it's far more radicalized, but there's little, there's, there's kind of like increasingly frequent glimmers of similarity between these two, I guess, like social forces. I mean, you have the macro similarities of, of, of both groups believing in an anti-Semitic conspiracy and believing that there are legions of little Timmies being tortured by this conspiracy, which is either headed up by the, the TRAs or... Um, the Satanists. What? Yeah, Satanists. Or, or maybe they're trans-Satanists. I mean, I know a few trans-Satanists, so it could be, it could be both. God, um, don't, don't mention that shit on air. You'll get fucking 8chan onto us. <laughs> um, but, um, I, I, too, I too know at least one trans-Satanist. <laughs> I mean, we can end the podcast. We've just destroyed ourselves. Yeah, we're you... fucked now. <laughs> we're fucked now, lads. But there are also, as you said, like, not only... Like there are glimmers of like literal, not convergences, but almost brushes of the two forces. And it has gotten to the point where I have seen multiple people on the internet kind of saying like, when are, the, when are there going to be Q-TERFs? Because it almost seems like a match made in heaven. The difference obviously is that QAnon, as you've spoken about, is very particularly American and TERF stuff for the moment is a very particular strain of, of, of British brainworms. But the reason we're going to be talking about these things is kind of to tease out if there is a, a proper like ideological convergence or proper uh, group convergence, like where and when that's going to happen and how as well. Just to give like the TLDR to our listeners, we have we talked about this before recording the episode, and like we think there's the potential for a convergence and that there's signs of it ongoing, but it hasn't properly happened yet. Basically, we're going to go into that in more detail. For now, just to give you a little bit more kind of like introductory information to set the scene, we thought it would be a good idea to give you some basic information about like the the actual like mechanical function of how like cults work 
with particular note on like modern online cults and like extreme I don't want to say like extremists but I guess like online uh, political fan bases that result in like an extreme devotion to their central figures and particularly with connection to the far right which is an omnipresent feature of all of this we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about people like Tommy Robinson and talking about like um gammon dad facebook live streamers that kind of stuff so in the world of the online far right one of the classic archetypes is like the live stream gammon guy and if you're i mean particularly in the case of like american and uk uh like far right protests there will always be like quite a lot of guys with like gopros or like um you know iphones on those kind of like swivel things that allow you to like live stream things very easily who will just live stream the whole protest and they'll like talk constantly into the camera they'll normally be like really really red and angry and sweaty and overheated um and they'll be extremely like ardent and 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 forthright about their views about how you know whatever it is like the, the jews are taking over america or or how we have to like get tommy robinson to lead an english army of like modern day robin hoods to take on the british state and make brexit work or whatever it might be so basically the reason why this is important is that these guys are like a critical part of modern far-right infrastructure they're essentially like um grassroots propagandists on a, on a mass scale there's loads of them they'll they'll turn up to anything uh they'll particularly turn up to anything in, you know in the british context that involves like a union jack yelling about migrants yelling about like COVID 19 anything that involves like groups like the you know the dfla the, the democratic football lads alliance uh which is one of the you know, british far-right street groups that kind of thing uh and kind of the archetype is the best example of that is a guy called tommy robinson who is um a major figure in the british far-right scene and the essential model is that there is uh, a guy uh he is known to the community as tom Ryan, as tommy robinson is um, he's probably got a connection to uh, the kinds of subcultural groups that other guys in the far right, and it mostly is, but isn't exclusively men, will be kind of like in. Uh, with Tommy Robinson's particular example, it's like football fan ultras, because he you know, essentially used to be part of a group called the EDL, the English Defence League, which was generated out of a kind of like a far right football fan firm in the UK. And what these guys do is that they will live stream either either from protests or just generally live stream uh in order to engage a wide follower base directly with their personality in a parasocial relationship and as a result of this everybody who's watching it gets gets sucked into this kind of like this world of the stream of consciousness of the live streamer which means that they're exposed to all of kind of like the random like rambling elements of their psychology and that in turn essentially means that these guys continuously like propagandize in this very direct psychologically open way which is deeply enthralling to people once they've been converted and it's essentially a core component of how modern radicalization spirals work you'll often see these people at uh, like online streamed QAnon rallies they're often the ones doing the streaming as opposed to like actual news organizations whenever there's like a live stream of a protest there is a good chance that it's run by one of these guys. Uh, like, you know, live streaming at protests is a whole subculture in itself. And these guys are kind of one of the biggest animals in that particular jungle. Interestingly, we have run across um, an increasing tendency for British turfs to begin doing this. 
British tariffs have begun uh, like doing like an increasingly large number of kind of what you could call guerrilla marketing stunts framed as like public actions as, as protests and they, they will turn up with like you know they're, they're you know ready-made t-shirts and banners looks like any other activist group and they will do something relatively high profile what this used to be would essentially kind of like be something like attempting to take over the front of a pride parade with a sort of dog whistle-ish slogan on a on a turf on a like a turf held banner and they would you know it'd be something like get the l out of lgbt or something like that now they're more doing things in their own right because you know the bigger pride parades generally tend to tell them to fuck off and what what is increasingly happening is that they're turning to live streaming in order to engage an online audience and that has sort of brought along with it all of the same kind of like models of behavior and like social dynamics as exist in this sort of tommy robinson model of fan club engagement turning into radicalization so i've had the misfortune to um to witness many years ago tommy's specific brand of kind of live stream dad usage when he harassed uh he harassed a group of people looking specifically for like that kind of um spectacular engagement you know it doesn't matter whether the people are nice or not to these people because obviously you've got hundreds of people listening to the stream and watching the stream and the turfs have previously kind of flirted with similar but it seems like they've really properly embraced like a a very professional live stream dad uh, production uh, model, which I had the unfortunate uh, task of monitoring recently. And uh, not only did the donations come rolling in on the, the, the live stream of one of the TERFs, um, the YouTube comments, but also the commenters on, you know, the dads tuning in or mums tuning in were also engaging in like just a bunch of random nationalism as well. Uh, and, and, and you would be forgiven for thinking that it was actually a Tommy stream rather than uh, one by uh, Kelly J. Kelly, Kelly J. Minchel or Posey Parker, um, who is one of the turfs who is really pushing, pushing this medium forward. She's a real, uh, real trailblazer. So what we're specifically referencing here is that, um, there's like a, a turf group in the UK, uh, which is run by a couple of like fairly prominent uh, UK transphobes uh, by the name of Posey Parker and Venice Allen. And they have been running live streamed public events that are basically kind of like open mic sessions in various like public spaces in the UK. And I, I went to one of the more recent ones of this, of this kind of like series of events to see essentially what was what was going on and what the dynamics on the ground were like and it was very very interesting not only were they quite focused on like getting online engagement going because they had a moderately sophisticated like technical setup they also were quite uh focused on the physical dynamics on the ground the specific place that they went to is this area in Hyde Park in London called Speaker's Corner and for those of you who aren't familiar with Speaker's Corner it's essentially like um, a political compost bin. Um, the purpose of Speaker's Corner on paper is that it's meant to be this kind of like symbolic bastion of free speech where anybody who wants to speak their mind in like the grand liberal sceptered aisle of, li of, of, of like green Britain, they'll go to like Hyde Park and they'll speak the truth and they'll contribute to the great free speech debate. What it actually boils down to is there's a bunch of like of like street preachers and, and conspiracy theorists who are like yelling about like how like 
a either like robots are here to steal your mum, or like this very very specific interpretation of the bible or the quran is the correct one and essentially what it devolves into is that there's this kind of like floating mob of a couple of hundred people who are like the the speaker's corner regulars who will turn up they'll do the live stream dad thing there'll be like the you know the regular street preachers who who yell about their given like religious grouping and there'll be other groups like there were some men's rights activists there when i went there it, it's just like a general fun crowd of of like political reactionary silliness so obviously it's ideal for transphobia like it, it's fucking perfect territory for them um, and they thought, well, we're, we're, we're paragons of free speech. We're speaking truth to power. Let's go to Speaker's Corner. Uh, and they duly did. And it fucking sucked. They were there. They had like a bunch of, a bunch of speakers on. They live streamed the whole thing. People did donate on the live stream. And I, I, don't, I don't want to exaggerate like the quantity they, do, they donated. On Tommy Robinson live streams, he regularly gets like loads of money for those. Like Tommy Robinson has actively pretty much just defrauded his fan base. Um, oh, he's, he's streamlined the fundraising thing. You know, this is their first toe in the water, but Tommy Robinson, he is, he's very good at it. Going, going back to the, the anti-fascist roots of this podcast, one of the running jokes in anti-fascist circles is that the purpose of the Tommy Robinson live streams is to fund his coke habit, basically. Uh, which is the, this, like, absolutely infamous aspect of, of Tommy Robinson's, like, political character is that whenever he's doing major events, he's fully coked up. Not to, not to diss, like, drug use. I don't really care about that. It's just it's quite funny that, like, the whole dynamic is that they're essentially funding his, like, drug hobby. Now, the Turfs aren't on coke as far as we know. Uh, I don't think that would really be their vibe. But they are essentially replicating the same live stream model to a vastly less efficient degree. They, you know, they only got, like, a few dozen quid at this. So it's not, it's not going to break the bank. But by doing it via the YouTube live stream model they are essentially attempting to monetize political engagement and combine that with like a guerrilla marketing style tactic where they where they will do these high profile events at like flashpoint locations like places like Trafalgar Square or Speaker's Corner where there's the potential for like a flashy spectacular incident there were a couple of occasions on the day when they got into like arguments with other randos who were at speaker's corner there's always like quite a lot of relatively far-right men at speaker's corner there were definitely a few like proper nazis um and other kind of like varying shades of like ukip dads and that that made for a bit of a, a bit of a weird dynamic because normally the types of people who turn up at speaker's corner aren't either aren't feminists of any stripe. I think it's especially important to note that the, the TERFs have only just started making this a regular thing. Like it's clearly a new drive, the Speaker's Corner model. However, they have history of Speaker's Corner. The famous uh, alleged attack, which they fought all the way to court, but they left Speaker's Corner alone. And when they did go back, it was very kind of furtively. They would post afterwards and, and then be like, oh, we went to Speaker's Corner. Uh, and very much of the victim thing. Whereas now they've completely done a 180 by embracing this like live stream, the live stream mum kind of brand. It's almost as if they've erased the kind of early turf relationship to Speaker's Corner and gathering in general, where they were constantly, you know, even a few years ago, they would have conferences and be like very secretive and talk about how they were being harassed by TRAs yelling at the windows, getting them canceled. And now that's all in the past because they've got they've got a new grift baby. 
which obviously couldn't happen if, if you know, the TRAs were so hell-bent on not allowing them to, um, to, to, to congregate or talk. What this is quite reminiscent of is how, like, the far right generally has managed to turn things around. So a few, a few years ago, like, the most that you would hear in terms of, like, the far right congregating in the UK, they would have, like, the occasional, like, moderately high-profile organization like the BNP or the EDL that would do something stupid and then get obliterated. And occasionally you'd have these, like, pseudo-intellectual groups, like the classic example being this organization called London Forum. And one thing that I do remember a few years ago is that London London Forum, which was essentially this like like talking club for fascists, um, tried to like rent out a, ho- a hotel to have a conference in, and the place had its windows caved in. That was several years ago. Like that, I'm pretty sure that was like well before Trump got elected. It may even have been like when David Cameron was still prime minister. And that kind of dynamic of fear in the far right has certainly to a good extent evaporated and that evaporation has been like the mirror image has appeared in in the tra- in the trans exclusionary movement in general transphobes as a, as a general block are a lot more just willing to just say random shit and be like yes the, the the trans women are here to steal the blood of our children and all of this bizarre bullshit when the turfs were being opposed they would fall back on this whole thing of being like you know we're being oppressed by all of the people yelling mean things at us and that really worked it, it was a, a little bit more touch and go for kind of like tommy's lads because like at the end of the day a lot of them are coked up chelsea headhunters um and we'll just like spit at brown people if they're allowed to which is is not good optics also, also a significant quantity of the EDL guys ended up going to prison for serious crimes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of them, uh, well, one of them went to prison for child sexual abuse. Right? It was more. It was more than one. It, it was, was more. Multiple of them went to prison for child sexual abuse. But the little old lady thing seemed to really, really work. Like, I, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to throw stones at, at my fellow kind of my leftists with anti-fascist concerns, but. A lot of them did kind of throw their hands up and say, like, you know, what can we do? We can't oppose little old ladies because they will get scared at us yelling at them. And so there was very little opposition in the same way. And now they've just pivoted kind of earlier and faster to just this absolute brazenness. You know, they disrupted a pride event, you know, the the London Pride, the big pride event. Several smaller prides since, especially trans prides, um, have been extra policed or even cancelled because of the threat of, uh, of turfs. And considering that, as we've spoken about, turfs don't really at the moment have a huge capacity for political violence, uh, you know, physical political violence, that's quite a turnaround. I personally believe that this, this emergence of um, a specific faction of turfs, which when we were workshopping this, this, this podcast, we've termed uh, girl baz um, as, a, as, a, as a counterpart to, to the baz concept taking the lead in kind of like turf stuff specifically people like posey and venice who have done these kind of spectacular actions like uh and you know this kind of like really like you said guerrilla marketing stuff before they were really a factor there just wasn't much to rally around and i have no doubt that a bunch of kind of older less less motivated turfs probably were quite intimidated by a bunch of university students telling them to fuck off but that, that has really melted away under this like rapid base building around this kind of like Baz, you know, Tommy-esque uh, model that the Turfs are now going for. That's my opinion anyway. What we've got to realise is, is that actually fascist movements, although, although they ultimately do end in violence, violence isn't their only tool. And for certain periods in their rise to power, 
they won't necessarily fully require it. Yeah, it benefits, like you, you mentioned London Forum, who are specifically kind of like faux intellectual fash. And, 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 and the leader of London Forum is like a really old dude, if I remember correctly. Like for them, for example, the threat of violence, directly at least, would be really antithetical to their goals. Like all of the creepy barons who go preaching eugenics in a crypt, they want to be, they want to be fancy. They do not want to be wandering around threatening people with coshes. But sooner or later, the cosh creeps in. Yeah, it, like eventually, eventually it stops being like polished ballroom shoes and it starts being jackboots. So like the, the speaker's corner dynamic, the thing that was significant, uh, the other thing that was significant that I wanted to bring up was the, was the environment. So as I've mentioned, like speaker's corner is like, is like this kind of like garbage pit of political ideology and speech, um, like masquerading as an amazing bastion of free, of, of like freedoms and, and, and like liberal inclusiveness. All of the other groups there, like were moderately harmless, um, like religious speakers who were just kind of like doing standard street speech, like uh, street street preacher stuff. There was at least two men's right activist groups Although disappointingly, they only had one fedora between them, um, and there were like various kind of like online uh, like alt right YouTubers who turned out in like their version of like a dapper suit. Like there was one guy with like a monocle that was made out of half of a pair of sunglasses. It was absolutely like just fucking the pits. With not even with not even a full steampunk opera spectacle between them. No, this guy wasn't even wearing a three-piece suit. He was just wearing like a shite, like blue banker's suit. It was awful. I'm very unimpressed. That guy also had like various like confrontations with the turfs. I think he was like quite homophobic. I don't, I don't know much about him, but like he was just this sort of like generally ridiculous character. Um, anyway, that was sort of indicative of the of the general vibe there. But particularly the 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 the, the stuff that they had actual affinity with, as opposed to opposition, was when. Uh, people turned up and started doing like COVID truther stuff. So, with the religious groups, um, the like the gender critical crowd kind of delighted in this like pantomimish opposition, which is very characteristic of Speaker's Corner, where various speakers will have this sort of like professional wrestling style smack talk uh, repartee that they engage with e- with each other. Um, and there were like a couple of moments in in the turf event where they like had a little bit of a go at like the, like the Christian or the Muslim uh, speakers and be like, ah, oh, these men don't want us here. They're traditionalists. Blah blah blah. Uh, you know, is probably correct. They're, they probably don't want them there, and they they were probably bang on the money in saying that. But the people who they did kind of actually drift over to, uh, as opposed to like getting into kind of like very showy arguments with were the covid truthers and this this doesn't this doesn't account for the whole the whole turf crowd but at the end of the event when it was disp- when it was kind of like packing up and dispersing and they were like you know rolling up their 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 like plastic banner and and putting the camera in its box and all that kind of crap there was quite a lot of the of the of the of the like the core turf group were like drifting over to the guys who were at speaker's corner talking about how like COVID-19 is a hoax and like the government is covering up that it's had the cure all along and there's like bullshit going on on with like nanobots and all of this kind of you know generalized conspiracy theory crap 
which does i think indicate that there is the potential for an emerging kind of symbiosis between these two movements it's not exactly a secret that like certain elements of like the the radical feminist movement have had a pseudoscientific tinge on occasion and that does certainly bleed through into turfism because turfism has these overlaps with like andrew wakefield style uh bullshit about like children and and autism and vaccines and like something being done by the nefarious doctors and the state passing all of these rules that means you won't be able to do your parenting and that you know best because you're a parent which is obviously like the, the perfect message for uh covid truthers it's the perfect message generally but then also two of like the big turf thought leaders are themselves specifically anti-mask uh and two of, the, two of the thought leaders who were leading this particular incident. So, like, Venice Allen yeah. is very well known for being, like, quite... There's, like, a general vibe from a lot of her, like, online behavior that says that, like, yeah, all of these masks, yeah, there's something they're not telling us about them. Yeah, and specifically Venice as well. What's most interesting about her anti-mask turn is that a few months ago, before, you know, uh, the, the, the country generally got the news um she was terrified of covid and took it very very seriously and then at some point in the last few months she's done this u-turn to just thinking that that covid is ridiculous uh and 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 that the measures are fake and that the tests are fake which is not just anti-mask like it's it's verging on full-on covid truther you know like uh it's, it's it's almost at the point of like you see these american videos of people oxygen testing masks and saying that they're going to kill you like the new um like the new msg kind of fever type thing right this was the this was the david ike thing where the notion was that like um the the like the frequency at which like 5g gets transmitted will like disrupt the ability of the body to absorb oxygen and that this is like part and parcel with the masks and they're attempting to like deprive our brains of oxygen and slowly kill us as part of the new world order yeah, I mean, she does literally say that face coverings stop your brain functioning normally, which is pretty intense. Um, yeah, like that's sort of going beyond Fox Mulder and like well into the deep zone. Most interestingly, we were speaking of the, sp- the spectator mopping up all of the all of the the columnists. Uh, the spectator is also apparently pushing like the anti-mask thing. So you kind of have to wonder whether it's the spectator seeing where the wind is blowing or whether they're actually dictating idiocy at any point from the top down i mean the 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 mask thing is certainly something that i think or like has emerged from the movement i don't i i i do kind of like tend to dispel this notion of like the top down versus like bottom up dichotomy i think these things kind of like emerge from the cooperation of those two aspects of the system but in the case of the in the case of like the the mask equals oxygen deprivation equals the government is here to fuck up your brain stuff i'm absolutely certain that that is a that is a bottom-up thing and what's most interesting about the convergence between the anti-mask and kind of general uh anti-trans stuff is that both of them have a great thing to latch onto, which is that the government is imposing you know it's it's the freedom fighter thing which obviously also perfectly meshes with a lot of the other conspiracy theories that like we are talking about and have come into contact with um whether it's it's the government you know putting you in jail for being english or putting you in jail for being 
for caring about women's rights or putting you in jail for wearing a mask. Like you're a freedom fighter and you know the truth, which is very cultish. Am I right? It is very cultish, particularly when you mentioned this freedom fighter thing. When I was at the, the most recent of the Save Our Children rallies, the number of people who had t-shirt slogans specifically which mentioned things like um make england free or like we are all freedom fighters or like slogans about 1984 it's this notion like this very very abstract notion about freedom which is another like core aspect of appeal and i think that is another thing the turfs uh, are attempting to tap into with this kind of like this very kind of like 2016 richard spencer oh oh freedom of speech that you want to all be liberal and accept our right to speak these things type of rhetoric like the spectacular freedom fighter i think is like the quickest way to sum up what the intended turf propaganda model is but yeah going to going on to like the cultish stuff in our intro we do say that we're concerned with fascism pseudoscience and cults We've, we've delved a little bit into pseudoscience with the pilot episodes, although to be honest, we could, we'll probably will be delving into that a hell of a lot more. Um, we've delved into like the fascist aspects with like the J.K. Rowling episodes and, and like arguably with an analysis of like red brown fascist convergence with the leftism episode. Uh, and God knows with the Timmy episode, there's, a, there's that confluence of like pseudoscience and fascism, but what we haven't covered that much yet is cults and everyone loves a good cult so we're gonna we're gonna introduce the listener to how we're going to be analyzing cults going forward Uh, and essentially what this episode is gonna serve as is our kind of like introductory piece on how we intend to kind of like report on the cultic aspects of the transphobic movement at large and how it has overlaps with various kind of like historical cult movements, both in terms of like people and in terms of behaviors. So yeah, we've been talking a lot about cults, and um, I thought that it would be a good idea if we kind of went through a rundown of how cults work uh, in order to kind of like introduce how we're going to confront this topic. So in the business of analyzing cults, getting people out of cults, treating people for trauma as a result of them being in them, cults aren't always called cults. They're sometimes called what is known as a high demand or high control group. And there are certain characteristics that describe a high demand group. It's important to realize when we come to this sort of thing that there's no there's no single kind of like silver bullet definition for what a cult is. Uh, you, you can't just say that like, oh, a cult is where you have a compound, everyone wears robes, and like there's then a big like event on cable news and everyone dies at the end you know that that happens in like a very very small number of circumstances most high demand groups pass by in society relatively unnoticed except by people who are in them so what is it that makes these things remarkable and like what is it that makes them like different from other organizations well disturbingly there's actually quite a lot of similarities between how high demand groups operate and how a lot of organizations in our society operate 
to kind of delve into that, you don't really have to go much further than looking at how kind of like researchers into like cults and like uh, mind control and abusive relationships have begun to think about these organizations and about these kinds of situations. One particularly prominent researcher who was a devotee of the Church of Sun Myung Moon, also known as the Unification Movement, also known rather kind of like patronizingly as the Moonies, produced a model for analyzing organizations or relationships or, or like social systems for telling if they are exhibiting kind of like cultic characteristics. And what he came up with was this thing called the BITE model. And that stands for behavior, information, thought, and emotion. And these are four aspects of an individual's life where the, the high demand group, the cult, whatever, whatever you want to call it, will exhibit extreme control. So when it comes to behavior, it's kind of like the traditional thing we picture of as a cult, where there's like, you know, a, a new age religious organization that, you know, congregates in specific buildings where perhaps there's some kind of communal living situation. It'll be things like regulating the diet. It'll be things like controlling how people dress, controlling the sexual relationships, um, how and who they can associate with. If it's getting in the serious, like like the seriously abusive direction, then the, the sexual and physical aspects of this can become more extreme. So there'll be things like enforced fasting, deprivation of sleep. One of the most common ones is financial exploitation. People who are familiar with the political activist scene may be most familiar with this one and the 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 aspect, unlike the sexual aspect of cultic relationships. Financial exploitation is very, very common in cult groups because these groups need money to survive, just like any other kind of like incorporated body of human beings in the modern in the modern world. They have bills to pay, and they're not actually producing much in terms of commodities, so they need contributions. There's often financial abuse. There's also kind of like other things like uh, you know rewards, punishments, um, the requirement to like seek permission. And in extreme circumstances, this can go up to like exhibiting physical threats, people getting like beaten, um, like various forms of torture and sexual assault. So that's uh, like the behavioral control, the control of the like the physical reality, the physical environment. Then there's information control. The behavioral control stuff, like some of the more like old school direct methods, aren't really relevant to turfs or like the modern kind of like broad grassroots cults that we're seeing erupt in kind of like the third decade of the internet age, like, you know, QAnon, the TERFs, whoever. Information control is a lot more relevant to these people. So information control is, is broken down into a few categories. First one is deception. So it's things like withholding information or, or changing it in some way that makes it more acceptable to the core ideology of the cults, uh, lying to the cult member, telling them, you know, the, the, the you know, that, such thing that is depicted as being true in, in the media isn't true, that kind of thing. That then feeds into kind of like the second aspect, which is minimizing and, and source of, sources of information that are outside the cult's control or outside of the realm of acceptability to the cult's ideology. Um, so, you know, like if it doesn't chime with what's being written in the party newspaper or what's in the specific religious book, then there's something dodgy about that information. It's fake news. So there's like the intellectual way of, of dismissing this stuff. But it also, there's also other ways of dismissing things like, for example, keeping members so busy with menial tasks that they don't have time to engage in reading. Like reading's quite high up on the hierarchy of needs. If they've got all, like loads of shit to do to reproduce the cult, 
then they're not going to have enough time to kind of like go and kind of critically investigate stuff. If you've got control over, you know, the phones of all of the people who are in your like new religious group, you know, they're not necessarily going to have the ability to like Google stuff. There's an interesting overlap here with parental abuse of children where phone control is, is a significant aspect. Again, that's not a thing that we know has turned up with TERFs, but one way in which the kind of like stochastic environment of like the leaderless environment of the of the TERF social group online works is that there is a lot of peer pressure around information and around how information is interpreted. Uh, so there is a heavy control exerted over critical information, not in this physical way where they physically can't access it, but in this social way where it's socially unacceptable to the group to access certain kinds of information. You say that it hasn't, um, we haven't seen this with the TERFs, but actually in some isolated cases, I think notably in America, um, kind of younger gay women who have been brought into the group, like have, ex-TERFs have spoken about like quite specific kind of like control and um being being like there's one woman who said that the turfs found her a girlfriend and wanted her to move country um Ooh, that's interesting i hadn't heard about this i got it the other way around so she's from america and she was told that she would be found a british wife yeah so this there was a spate of like after the kind of links to the heritage foundation had been really brought out into the sunlight for listeners who don't know the heritage foundation i think we've mentioned before uh were funneling a lot of kind of money very opaquely to the TERFs and some excellent internet sleuths kind of found this out and it's now kind of common knowledge um, to, 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 to non-TERFs at least. But, but as this was kind of being dragged into the light after the fact, after people like Venice were flown over, um, one, one person who had been brought in to the British TERF scene just before all this spoke out about how she had been like, her housing I think had been controlled and her friendship and um, a lot of uh, a lot of people like sexually harassed her and she was kind of told that she would be found a wife and, and, and stuff like that. If I remember correctly, I'm sure this will be quite easily Googleable. But again, this isn't like a directed thing from a specific leader. It's more just kind of as and when the opportunity takes place. It seems like the TERFs can and will do that stuff. It's just not their general MO. Yeah, I guess I would be, I would be hesitant about saying that this was like something that you could apply to all TERFs, but it's something that did emerge within like a, yeah. an anti-trans uh, environment. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. So that, that, that is interesting to me because it's the first time that I've heard of like internal physical, sexual and uh, policing of behaviours within the TERF movement beyond just like, oh, don't have sex with someone who has a penis. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Amy Diast, who wrote a viral post about uh, TERF being hate speech, uh, then when she left, uh, categorised uh, the grooming and abuse that she received at the hands of the, the GC crowd. So yeah, next up is compartmentalising information into outsider versus insider doctrines. Um, this one's so obvious that I scarcely need to go into it, because like it, the outsider versus insider aspect of uh, gender-critical feminism is, is so blatant, and is almost like a selling point that I, it, it scarcely needs us like specifying it. It's, it's all about this kind of like crowd control of what is like legitimate information, which is very, very common, like in religious groups and in political groups. Uh, tariffs are very clearly the latter. And anyone who's kind of like in the left wing political scene will either be directly familiar from their like personal experience or will have heard with, you know, through the activist grapevine about 
just the shit that goes on in activist organizations, particularly to do with like what is considered like epistemologically legitimate forms of thought. Uh, this is a very, very common thing in activism. Um, next one, encouraging spying on other members, reporting deviant thoughts, ensuring that individual behavior is monitored. So de the idea of like deviant thoughts and this kind of like panopticon thing totally ties in with the like this like rather puritanical model of morality that a lot of terrorism overlaps with and also with like their online social and organization structure where like people are constantly being monitored in a, in a kind of passive way, not in a way where like they're deliberately stalking their feeds in a, in a state of total paranoia that their friends are going to betray them, but just where because they're, they're all kind of like, you know, much like you or me, they're all like friends with each other on Facebook, they'll kind of see if someone begins to exhibit like those little signs of ideological drift and that'll kind of like kick in this safety feedback for, you know, from the group's point of view, it's a, it's a safety mechanism where you know that people will slightly police that by yeah you know, they'll do the tone policing thing they'll they'll say hmm, do you do you really think that 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 opinion is correct Jennifer and more and more extreme forms of that up and up into including you know verbal abuse to a certain extent we all do this um, we all report deviant thoughts nobody has ever fully successfully killed the cop in their head so I I, I don't want to unfairly judge them because I'm I'm sure that I've done this as well. Um... I mean, this was seen with Julie Bindle specifically, it seems to be when turfs stray, the most common thing seems to be when they start objecting to the homophobia kind of baked into the system. Yeah, because I guess, I guess that's the equivalent. Um, I keep coming back to the comparison with, with leftism because I've never been religious, so I don't have that comparison to make. And I guess the, the intellectual stand-in for religion for me would be, would be communism. And I keep, I keep coming back to when like, people are accused of, of like, theoretical deviations within like the more cultish left-wing activism groups and that seems to me to be like very similar because essentially what uh julie bindle was accused of was betraying stalinism yeah and like essentially being like ah she's 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 thrown her lot in with with like bukharin and, and trotsky and all of those traitors who were all secretly social fascists and all that kind of crap Whereas in reality, Julie Bindle just kind of like twigged to the fact that the entire turf movement is like full of weird bastards, but not quite to the extent that she began considering that perhaps her actions were the actions of a weird bastard. Okay, so the last point in information control is um, people who are engaging in information control will make a lot of will make a lot of hay out of like information material and propaganda that's generated from the cult ideology. The traditional method will be the good old-fashioned cult newspaper. I fucking love these. I actually collect them. That's not a joke. I have a very large, well, not very large. It's, it's like a, a rapidly growing collection of cult leaflets that I've collected from various different forms of protests. Listener, this is the point where we realize that M himself is also a weird bastard. Uh, realize? Is this <laughs> No, like, this is, like, I'm 100% I'm willing to cop to, to my vibe being, like, a shit version of Agent Mulder, instead of believing in aliens, I just believe that cults are out there. I mean, cults because are out- Because they fucking are! They fucking <laughs> are out there! <laughs> I was in Trafalgar Square with, like, 2,000 cultists today! <laughs> uh, so does that just make me scully, just, like, sitting there in the background and occasionally just being, like, and here's some news from the gender wars for you to just scribble down in your notebook. Get, uh, so, so 
regular listeners to the show are going to are going to slowly become more and more aware that I'm a huge fan of the X Files. I've already made a couple of X Files joke jokes on the official Twitter account to the tune of Scully. Have you ever heard of the turf alien and that kind of thing? Um, I can assure all of our listeners it's only going to get worse. I was told to watch the X Files for show, like for show research, which I will be doing because I'm I'm excited to do. But like that's the level that's the level that we're at here. Yep. We're operating an intellectual powerhouse here over at Blood and Turf Industries. Anyway, moving on. Another aspect of information control is the unethical use of confession. Information about sins is used to disrupt or dissolve identity boundaries. The withholding of forgiveness or absolution is used as a, as a control technique, as is the manipulation of memory. By the way, I'm going to uh, drop the, the source from which I'm getting all of this stuff into the show notes, but it is from an organization called the Open Minds Foundation, which was founded by the guy who wrote all this stuff, who was uh, a convert to the, the church of like, um, Sun Myung Moon, um, also known as the Unification Church, like I mentioned it earlier, and he then got out of that cult group, um, a very large and successful South Korean cult group, by the way. So we, mo- we move on to thought control. It is required that members have to internalize the group's doctrine as a truth. You have to absorb the the group's concept of reality. You have to start thinking in kind of like a a dualistic good and evil version of morality in in black and white thinking in terms of how you like like order uh, your political and spiritual logic. And that then transforms into us and them. And that provides the, the basis for beginning to kind of like alter how people conceive of themselves in terms of identity. What this means is that like, if one began to enter kind of like a turf cult, first thing is to begin thinking in black and white thinking. So you're, you're, you're nailing yourself to the cross of the gender binary, essentially. You're, you're really thinking, right, this is, this is the thing, this is the hill I'm going to live or die on. And then that trans- because you're so emotionally invested, you transform that into good or evil. So it's like, well, I'm personally invested in the gender binary now for my own political reasons, whether they be traditionalist or feminist, depending on where I'm generating my transphobia from. And therefore, if someone disagrees with me, they're engaging in either an intentional or unintentional act of evil. Well, this places me in a bind. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now really kind of like up against the wall here because this is a highly important issue for me. It's, it's like moralistically foundational. And that means that anybody who's, who's kind of like disagreeing with me and my comrades is an outsider and they're part of this us and them dichotomy. And we've got to do something about that, don't we? And from there, one then goes into a series of like transformations in a person's life which fundamentally changes that person's political character and identity and that you know kind of begins with begins with like very very little things like the use of language from the in-group which we've discussed earlier and that then transforms itself into like self-replicating thought patterns that are reinforced by the groups and that then transforms itself into like like self-reinforcing behavioral patterns that reproduce the group and from there, we get into like ideological replication, where you aren't allowed to like criticize the ideological doctrine, and you've got to kind of like li- like label other kind of like systems of political law or spiritual thought as being illegitimate or evil. Mm-hmm. It is notable to me that uh, one area in which uh, like self-described gender critical feminists or or turfs kind of go in against the like the the, you know trans people in general and the lgbt movement or at least the components of it that have rejected them is actually by accusing those people of exhibiting all of the stuff that i've just described as being part of thought control arguably their deployment of that rhetorical tactic 
is them deploying the thing I, like, that I described prior to that. It's them engaging in information control. It's them engaging in deception. They're deliberately withholding inf like contextual information that explains these things, and they're distorting the, the place where these things are generated from, both on the, you know, like the transgender side of things and on the turf side of things. So it is, it is important to realize that these accusations can go both ways and that the, the contextual information about them is frequently deployed in like an agitational and divisional manner or as a divisive manner. Last thing in the BITE model. So we've covered B-I-T-E. We, we, we covered B-I-T, that's behavior, information, and just then thought control, emotional control. So if you can control uh, someone's behaviors and control someone's thoughts, you can control their entire internal emotional landscape. You can control like the range of, the, of sensations they're experiencing. And that's really important because emotions really define human experience. So if you can, if you're, if you're running the turf cults and you know, there isn't anybody running the turf cult, but hypothetically, if you were running a turf cult, if you're going to keep, if you're going to keep it going, if you're going to keep the bandwagon going, you need to police certain aspects of people's emotional environment. Some emotions are wrong. Certain kinds of empathy are wrong. Certain kinds of anger are wrong. Because if they stop being wrong, then it starts disrupting the structure of the cult. So, for example, empathy about the person whose life you've just destroyed and who just like attempted to commit suicide because they've you know been brutally harassed by turfs. Empathy for that person has to be wrong. Because if it isn't wrong, then you're wrong, and that's unacceptable. Equally, anger at somebody within the group is wrong because it's a form of betrayal. See again, you know, the Bindle incident, or you know, other other kinds of situations. In order to combat this, what you've got to do is you've got to come up with internal mechanisms to police how people express emotion. You've got to come up with like group techniques for closing off uh, emotions. Um, and this can either be through like reinforcive methods, like uh, kind of like, in, you know, the dynamics in the group being you know kind of like there's an encouragement thing there's a there's a reassurance thing going on there's you know positive things like that or it can be negative abusive stuff by demeaning all of the other options so that they feel like those other kind of like options for their life to to take aren't legitimate so for example saying that like oh your family won't understand you would be a key example you can't go back to your friends because they're 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 not politically okay they're deep they're actually deeply immoral this stuff will often not even be explicitly verbalized. It will simply be implied through the you know, self-replicating linguistic patterns of the cult. And also specifically with the TERFs, it doesn't always necessarily have to be implied. It just happens anyway. See JK, Rowling, Glynna, you know, all of these TERFs who talk about being cancelled by their families. I think, I think Glynner is a perfect case study of somebody being destroyed by the leaderless cult. Because Glynner was extremely high profile. He was uh, kind of at the top of the food chain, but it still emotionally destroyed him. Realistically, although I think Glynner is probably, probably financially going to be okay, his life has actually been ruined by this stuff. In some, like, I don't, I don't want to demean our listeners, many of whom are like trans comrades who are trying to like, you know, back up via anti-fascist praxis, but actually... To a certain extent, Glinner is a victim of the turf cult. You know, he was manipulated by like an emergent grassroots phenomenon into becoming an incredibly abusive person based on his already existing conservative political values in relation to trans people. And that mentally and personally destroyed him and put him at like 
the core of a giant parasocial relationship pyramid which obliterated his brain yeah it's like it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy like we're not saying oh, oh cry for 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 glinner but yeah it, it, it absolutely destroyed him in a way that just wouldn't have happened if these conditions weren't around yeah and it's like it it, it, it all this stuff comes down to like when you get these like repeated incidents of destruction it helps reinforce like a fear model within these groups against deviation so yeah it's all it's all wrapped up with like this 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 concept of fear because if you can have these high profile incidents in which uh like people like glinner get obliterated then it essentially acts as a selective process it's kind of like thinning the herd right because if you if you could remove the people who are like more vulnerable to this sort of fear totally breaking them down then you are making like the quality of this group better it's sort of like an act of 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 like cult like internal cult eugenics um, I, do, I do wonder because it's a leaderless cult. A lot of people spoke about uh, Rowling's meteorotic radicalization as her being, you know, the next Glinner, which is something that we said. And we're now talking about, you know, Posey and Venice and that lot weaponizing the Tommy books or attempting to. And I do wonder if it's kind of like it's a self-selecting thing, not just in terms of thinning the herd of vulnerabilities, but also in terms of like, if you stick around for long enough, and you're enough of a veteran, you might end up the leader. I think that is 100% what's going on. Um, you often see this with, with dynamic political situations. Like, for example, in, in post-revolutionary societies, uh, particularly societies in, in which there was no specific single revolutionary organization leading the charge, after you know the, the dictator has been toppled or whatever, there's often like a multi-decade period of political dissolution where various different factions kind of vie for power. Not even necessarily in a directly confrontational way, but more in terms of exposure to the elements of, of like the human world. And... If you are, if your organization is more vulnerable to those elements, then it is going to die of political exposure. A lot of aspects of turfism that were prominent, say, back in 2010, are no longer prominent in the movement. If we get to 2030, and we're still considering this stuff important enough to talk about, <laughs> assuming that other stuff hasn't overtaken it, then other things will have, um, will have, you know, eclipsed quite a lot of what we consider currently to be core to the tariff movement i would not be at all surprised if we got two years down the line and people like uh you know venice allen posey parker could be completely obliterated by somebody who's taken the good aspects of their model but has ditched the other things that leave it in the dust they may not even be british turfism's final form oh i'm However, absolutely certain they're not the thing <laughs> ironically ironically british turfism is in a state of transition <laughs> But I do think it is interesting that like they are the current front runners. Um, like we we spoke about how they are like specifically these two. I think one of the reasons they're not going to go the distance is because they've like wibble wobbled on like what they stand for very very much. So um, Posey has kind of always been right wing, but but Venice had a brother in the Morning Star and was you know harassing uh, teenage girls at, at labor conferences so is you know nominally left-wing uh, and now is now is just completely abandoned that as well as you know the things about the covid and stuff like that but like turfs it seems like a going through the transi transition period of like 
general shitbaggery and then the two kind of tendencies, um, you know, the, the two worldviews world world of the TERFs, which is, as I, as I kind of foreshadowed earlier, the kind of like TERF baz, the girl baz, uh, and then kind of like the grown TERFs, which include kind of like Bindle and like FBP lot and like Hadley Freeman. Hadley Freeman, although you know, according to this, like she 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 may be trying to cash in on the on the Baz books herself. But like previously, one of the reasons the Turks were able to become so prominent, as we spoke about in our in our left episode, is because they were in these positions of kind of um, political and institutional power. And in order to be in those positions, they did have to be kind of academic columnist like girl bosses uh with that kind of liberal gloss whereas like the baz element is just totally throwing that stuff to the wind and cavorting with the QAnon people if not literal i mean if not ideologically yet like literally in terms of speaker's corner um and if and if posey and, and venison and, and the bazes are the front runners then that kind of speaks to me that like turfism is probably going that way even if they don't end up being the leaders It'll either be someone like them or maybe someone who fuses the two kind of tendencies. Yeah, I mean, with the modern with the modern far right movement in Britain, if we think about like figures who have recently been politically eclipsed, look at Nigel Farage. So Nigel Farage and Nick Griffin are two brilliant examples of this because they used to be at kind of like the apex of public far right agitation in the UK. They're like like Nick Griffin is is a tiny figure now. Like he keeps running his own like tiny front groups, which then, you know, drift into obscurity after six months. Nigel Farage could conceivably have another comeback, but I would be mildly surprised. But his his day in the sun was the Brexit period, and now he's arguably done his thing. We'll have to wait and see, but I think there's a pretty good case to be made there. But the person who Nigel Farage eclipsed was another interesting kind of like political character in the UK political scene. Quite a lot of our users will never have heard of, called Robert Kilroy Silk. And Robert Kilroy Silk was one of the core influences in starting the UKIP party. Farage arguably achieved his goal. He said he achieved his goal. And also, you know, in terms of outright racist UKIP shitbaggery, the minute that the referendum results were announced, uh, people just decided that it was open season on xenophobia. Similarly, you could argue that the, the kind of grown turf has achieved their goal because uh, as every British trans person will know, every paper comes out with something heinous pretty much every day. I mean, we, we have peaks and troughs, but at the peak it's multiple a day and at the trough it's multiple a month at the very least, which speaks to kind of escalation rather than just transference, in my opinion. Yeah, so the thing is about these individual figures is that they're, symptom they're symptomatic of the transformation of the movement. Robert Kilroy Silk was a fringe figure. He paved the way for Nigel Farage, who was a transformative figure. Uh, Nick, Nick Griffin was a, you know, kind of like a base, a base building figure. He then paved the way for the modern kind of like non-party directed far, far right guys who like classic examples are people like Tommy Robinson who do things in this kind of like semi-grassroots, semi-cultish like pseudo-party model. These people are all kind of like rungs in like an evolutionary ladder of like political ideologies and their various different proponents changing organizational models and as they change these organizational models it's it's in response to the it's in response to their environmental condition for turfs 
they've done a hell of a lot of work in relation to like political establishment stuff as we delved into in the leftism episode and they've done a hell of a lot of work in relation to the like the media which you've you know just gone into just now and now i think what we're looking at is they're going is that a certain aspect of the turf movement has begun experiencing environmental conditions which means that it's good for them to start chummying up with like QAnon type weirdos and the question the question that comes out of that is what are the kind of like evolutionary results of this semi unintentional coalition with conspiracy theorists so the the grown turfs regardless of whether they're on the wane on the rise or or what's going to happen in the end have kind of functioned for decades because you know turfs aren't even in britain they're not they're not super new as of the last few years they have been around for a while but obviously at the moment they are much bigger and badder than than i think previously at all seen even in america when when turfs were threatening gun violence uh on uh i think it was trans musicians it was a specific small militia group and not like indicative of, of wider trans like uh trans exclusionary clowns it seems to me that like the grown turfs like the the, the academics uh, kind of function as like a plague reserve so they're kind of like in the, the literal or not not so literal like ivory towers like tip tapping away and then when the conditions are right they have a bunch of articles to pitch and a bunch of dinners to attend and then suddenly that's where you get to the point right now where you have you know a term grown turf like guardian guardian columnists and even if I think, you know, say, say this all goes out of the collective consciousness next week, which it won't because, as someone has said, uh, anti-trans hatred is going to power Britain after our no-deal Brexit. Um, I, think, I think the kind of the academic kind of uh, girl bossy, grown kind of contingent would still be tapping away waiting for the next chance. Yeah, so I think basically what the purpose of the of the girl boss squad, their purpose is to solidify the the like the political psychological games that are made by the girl bats. There's like the vanguard and the reformists. Oh my god, Greer is a vanguard. Grim. No, no, Greer, Greer, Jermaine Greer. Yeah, Jermaine Greer. Eh, I don't know. I think Jermaine Greer is a wee bit washed up now. Yes, but I guess that's what I mean, is that like she, she is very washed up now. She has completely served her purpose, and most new turfs will probably never have heard of her. But she did a bunch of that weird work of, you know, really setting up the fact that she hated trans people, and she loved being creepy towards children, but it was fine because she was a feminist. Okay, yeah, I see what you mean. So I guess, I guess looking more at the girl-bass, girl-boss relationship... Um... They they do have like a mutual and like an antagonism within the movement, not to the extent that we see like severe arguments, but they don't have quite the same worldview. The thing is, is that like that's not actually bad from the point of view of transphobia in general as a political ideology. That's actually beneficial. Political ideologies tend to benefit from having an internal variety of of opinions that are within their umbrella. And having like girl bass and girl boss just gives them kind of like two different arms to punch with. They have different purposes in terms of like advancing the movement. And sometimes they'll come into conflict with each other, but they're not sufficiently opposed in terms of their interests to actually destroy each other because they have fundamentally the same class interests and they have fundamentally the same core ideology. 
you know, as everyone's, as every Tuff's favorite uh, politician says, it's a broad church. You know, Keir Starmer, he, he's very happy with people. <laughs> I can't even finish the bit, sorry. <laughs> you did your best. <laughs> I joke about uh, Keir being fine with the turfs, which he, he is. That, that, that's, that bit isn't a joke, but I think that kind of centrist view of everything being the same is very similar to a lot of electoral politics. But you can't have too much, you can't have too much divergence. And I suspect if what we think is going to happen in terms of like further radicalization, because like if it is going to be this kind of convergence with much more hardline conspiracy theorists, they might see a little bit of a drop. Like some people might not necessarily, they won't stop hating trans people, but they might get bored with like the level of political engagement, which that would demand. The other difference I think, and this is why I personally suspect that like the bases will out, even if only temporarily, is that, um, like with other conspiracy theories, you have seen, especially with like informational control, it's very easy for like radicalized, you know, people make fun of radicalized boomers on Facebook groups watching Fox News or, or you know, uh, listening to the radio, uh, like LBC, which is like quite, it gets quite hardline a lot, considering that it's a mainstream radio show, uh, for, for a British example. Um, is, is that like people will do their own information control and for that to happen, you obviously need people to be able to create their, their own information and, 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 and get, you know, the kind of WhatsApp group equivalent of, of like the party line. And like you're going from having transphobic diktats from, you know, a grown turf or whatever to people with the advent of like streams and the streaming model is like allowing the bases to reproduce like quite quickly uh, and also like being a massive open gate for all of this conspiracy stuff because like WhatsApp groups, FaceApp group, Facebook groups, all that kind of stuff is not only used by, by TERFs, especially things like Telegram groups, which are very famously like an MO of, of Tommy Robinson lads. To me, TERF bases aren't just like Tommy in the literal sense of, you know, using Facebook lives, using YouTube streams, grifting, vague shittiness and fashionness, but like they're also kind of examples of like essentially bigoted homosocial social clubs which converge and merge with various fascistic tendencies and threads in a very cliquey kind of manner. And I mean that's 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 why we came up with the term girl bears. Um because like both of them are, are very gendered, very um very helpfully for the turfs. The Tommies have the kind of like football clubs and or like nostalgia for football clubs, even if they're not in them. And turfs have kind of like mum's net. And what that means is because it has this more social aspect, you are going to have people breaking off and doing their own little weird thing. Because like Jennifer from your WhatsApp group that you got added to by a random Twitter user might have a real bee in her bonnet about 5G. And if you happen to be in the same kind of like clique as her, then you're probably going to pick up on that too, even though you came together because you both hate trans people. I guess that's all clearly just like the, the oppositional partner in the dance with like the Grand Turfs because they, they bloomed from there being not that much coverage of trans people in, in major publications up to it being like this like core aspect of the, like the UK media class culture war bullshit 
the thing about the culture wars is that like the one one of the things that really defines the culture wars in like you know western media circles now is, is QAnon. Turfism isn't particularly big in QAnon. It's not particularly like sorry, transphobia in general is not particularly big in QAnon yet. It's not particularly a a core thing in the US in a way that it is in the UK and in certain countries in Europe. It's getting there, but it hasn't quite reached the level of primacy. In comparison, QAnon has not become uh, like a political epoch-defining thing in the UK in the way that it has in the US. Uh, and I think that the reason for this, these kind of like oppositional differences between like the UK and the US political systems and the specific kind of like conspiratorial beliefs that they've picked as their core like culture war totems is really informative. So the thing about QAnon in the American context is that it's like ideal. It's absolutely perfect for doing American culture war because it's totally built into so much uh, like American political history. It's tied in with like almost every single existing uh, like conspiracy theory movement which would in their own right are deeply tied into things like the new age movement certain aspects of liberalism certain aspects of like hardline conservatism certain aspects of nazism certain aspects of leftism that gives QAnon a finger in every pie which means that it can constantly draw not only on this like vast social base but also on its eternal like involvement in american civil religion the the QAnon ideology is really concerned with all the kind of like articles of state. You know, different aspects of the federal government are fighting each other. The CIA is at war with the army who are on Trump's side. Trump is fighting against the like the Democrats and like the secret cabal. There's like all of these like Jewish conspirators running around who are like doing doing battle with with like the people who want to defeat the pedophiles. Um, there's spies. There's fucking like Russians trotting around with AK-47s. The Reds are hiding under the bed. It's all of this in- absolutely incredible like god tier american civil religion fantasy now by contrast uk civil religion is a lot more austere it's very different it's kind of like tied up in world war ii bullshit and that has not really penetrated the conspiracy theory sphere here yet prior to kind of like the last five years particularly like the last two years British conspiracy theory stuff was totally fringe, like tiny, with the exception of a couple of key movements, which I'll mention in a moment. When you look particularly at the, the weirder end of conspiracy stuff, like like David Icke, like people who think that the, the, the royal family are quite literally reptiles, that stuff was minuscule. Now you look at things in like the broader UK context, you realize that there's been like a few movements that have emerged over the last couple of decades that have reinforced the general strength of conspiracy theories in the British political mainstream. One of the most important ones, which we're probably going to do another episode on, is the Andrew Wakefield vaccine hoax, where a now thoroughly disgraced doctor called Andrew Wakefield came up with this totally pseudoscientific load of bollocks to the effect that vaccines were going to give your kids autism. In many ways, uh, this is a precursor to the kind of like the medical aspects of transphobic conspiracy theories. But it's important to note that as a result of this intervention by Andrew Wakefield, anti-vaxxer or anti-vaccine conspiracy theories became totally critical to the UK conspiracy theory culture at large. And they dovetailed in 
with the other big one, which was GMO, genetically genetically modified organisms. So uh, the campaign against genetic modification was a pretty big one in the UK. Uh, it encompassed a lot of political positions from the far right to the far left. It was very, very core to the Green Party. As a result of all of this stuff, like the UK conspiracy theorist scene is kind of comprised of this of this spectrum of rather niche positions that are held together by like more broadly held opinions and these are often the big ones like uh, like gmo like a fear of 5g a fear of like vaccines and in the kind of political environment we're in now which is heavily defined by like the coronavirus lockdown that stuff has become an avenue for political catharsis by a particular milieu within the political scene particularly connected to kind of like soft right opinions like unofficial reactionary opinions that aren't quite connected but have overlaps with nazism and the people who are following these these kind of movements aren't quite fully on board with that and haven't quite realized it yet but if things go badly they could be converted this is very similar to where QAnon was like a couple of years ago look where that went Indeed, it exacerbated really, really quickly. And in the process of, exas- of exacerbation, it engaged in what's called syncretism. So syncretism is, is where like different religions or schools of thought kind of get amalgamated into like a holistic universal worldview. Well, not even like a universal worldview, but just like they, they, they kind of coalesce together. This is absolutely core to understanding um, a lot of fascist movements, and it's absolutely core to understanding QAnon, because that is what happened to QAnon. QAnon engaged in, it in one of the most massive acts of like pseudo-theological syncretism in like modern civilization. It's kind of impressive. The danger with UK-based conspiracy theorism, particularly with these Save Our Children rallies, uh, particularly with the inclusion of like other fringe elements, like the TERFs in, in conspiracy theory places, is that they could engage in this syncretism. There are glimmers of that happening now. There is an overlap between the trans-exclusionary radical feminist community and people who are skeptical of masks. We've seen this in critical figures who are involved in the community. There is an overlap between the trans-exclusionary radical feminist community and people who are critical of vaccines. The overlap is particularly related to children. And when children get involved, you get overlaps with pedogeddon paranoia. And then you can start talking about QAnon stuff. And then you can start talking about like parents against the state. And then it starts coalescing. And if it starts coalescing, then it gets to the point when all it has to do is go through some of these self-replication cycles start iterating all of this stuff in the BITE um, system where it, it engages in behavioral control, engages in information control, engages in thought and emotional control. And then you start going through the selective processes and you start getting an emergent leaderless cult, which is what we are seriously at risk of developing in the UK, just in the same way that the Americans did. And the risk is that the TERFs will be a foundational pillar of that system because they're a link to radical leftism, they're a link to liberalism, they're a link to feminism, and they're a link to like the commentary at middle class in a way that like the anti-migrant stuff, the anti-vaccine stuff kind of isn't because it doesn't have that progressive sheen. TERFs can replicate that progressive sheen. That's why they're dangerous. They're all going to combine from, all of their brain worms will combine to make some sort of brain worm king, like a rat king. Yeah, the uh, the universal explanation. Yeah, the uni- yeah the universal explanation ideology or brainworm king. <laughs> um, 
where all of the worm all of the worms are tied together and they just wriggle forward in some kind of like vast body without organs that just tramples through the psychological landscape of the British political scene. On our first and funnest episode of Cult Watch, I guess we have to we have to summarize with uh, watch out for the brainworm king. Yeah, watch uh, out for the cults. This this in from Cult Watch, you have to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically though like in, 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 in turfism shoring up this theory, like, one of the things we floated, which I think has a very outside chance, but I'm not quite sure why, is that like, there's no, there's been no real turf developments on kind of wickery kind of gender essentialism, like yoga cult stuff. Because it's not would, fashionable anymore. Yeah, because it's not fashionable anymore. But like, you know, if you see any witches talking about blood rights, but like women ones, then then you'll know it, it, it's the brainworm king time. Yeah, the other the other one I've been keeping a little close eye on is transhumanism. There's heavy overlap between like New World Order, QAnon, GMO type people, and TERFs, where both milieus will talk about transhumanism and human experimentation and like, um, you know, people doing stuff to our people or like beings that are specifically not people are doing stuff to our people. Particularly, this will be related to things like medical establishment. And it's kind of, yeah, it's, again, it's a Weave It X Files subplot type bullshit where they'll be like, ah, these people who we're going to characterize as aliens, and this normally leads back to the Jews, are doing some kind of like evil, like hyper-intellectual medical experiment on us. We'll be covering transhumanism in a a later episode, but yeah, just as like a a forenote, transhumanism has already been seized upon by the TERFs in the form of Sophie Lewis's book on um, full surrogacy now, because they all took that academic text that was specifically, you know, about reproductive labor, and, and a trans-inclusive uh, feminist lens on reproductive labor. And when, oh my God, it's womb farm time. And they immediately, ra- they picked that up and ran. Yeah. And today, when I was at the Save Our Children rally, there was, you know, there were a couple of placards about fucking transhumanism and about like, you know, the, the doctors conspiring and all of this kind of bullshit. And, you know, the, the experts doing evil shit. There, you know, there's this, you know, the legitimate fear of, techno- of technocracy kind of gets diverted in these conspiracist directions. My personal takeaway from this, from this whole sequence, is that QAnon is too tied to the bullshit of the US political scene to be fully transferable to the UK. Uh, like QAnon is is quite strong in the UK. Like the UK is like I think the second most strong showing worldwide for QAnon stuff outside of the US. But when you look at the way that QAnon stuff is approached in the British political context, it's still heavily US centric. They still talk about you know John Podesta. They still talk about Hillary Clinton. They still talk about Donald Trump. It's all still tied in with this American civil religion stuff. And that doesn't have fully direct material link to British domestic politics in a way that would probably... And this is a this is a theory, so I could be wrong here. It would probably require that to get to the level of insurgent power here as it has in the US. You know, it'll be a weird aspect of the far right here, and it will be a significant negative influence. But I think right now it's relatively unlikely we're gonna be seeing QAnon MPs in you know the explicit way that we see QAnon congressmen. By comparison, QAnon can provide a holistic theory of the political universe. It does 
it's so wide ranging and it has this capacity to bring in so many different like conspiracy theories that it can essentially just construct ideas influ- like infinitely and from that it can just you know create these new divergent reactionary populisms that address essentially an infinite number of issues but still bring them into this core of like conspiracy theory bullshit around kind of like a child stealing cabal which ultimately will direct immediately back into fascism and anti-semitism when you compare that to turfism turfism in the way that we analyze it is heavily kind of like linked to the british culture wars and i think there is the potential for turfism giving to the QAnon movement what QAnon lacks in that it has it, it gives it an in to be relevant to uk culture war stuff that the QAnon scene kind of hasn't quite figured out how to do yet here whereas Turfism hasn't managed to figure out a way to create a an ideology or a philosophical system that is universally explanatory. It hasn't managed to create a full theory of politics. It's all concerned with gender stuff. It doesn't think about like the entire government plotting against you. It's it's mainly just about like the evil transes. So if there is going to be like a conf- like a proper confluence and convergence of QAnon in the UK and and like transphobia then it's going to be in this kind of like syncretic manner where turfism along with other things helps provide relevance to uk culture war bullshit to widen the movement out of the conspiracy theorist fringe meanwhile QAnon, with its tendency towards creating these holistic frameworks helps build turfism into being like a core pillar of the reactionary movement in a way that it is clearly trying so so hard to be before we end the podcast and say goodbye, uh, credit where credit is due. When we reference the Byte model, we're speaking about the model developed by Stephen Hassan. We will, we will be putting a link in the show notes for you to read up. We'd also like to uh, shout out QAnon Anonymous podcast for covering QAnon in depth and also doing a Lysenko app, uh, part of an illustrious podcast club on uh, Soviet agronomists. Trash Feature, the podcast, has also spoken about the concept of Q and British turfs as well. So shout out to them. And I'd also like to thank Marina Crustation again for our wonderful music. The next episode will be about the penis. So thank you for listening and bye. Bye bye, everyone. Bye.